1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 188, Best Board Games for RPGers. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron. But with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome, to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, another great episode and in yet another ongoing attempt to drag people away from other games that they probably do love into the ever warming embrace of cardboard. Yes. It's that time of year. The video games are coming
0: out. Christmas is coming up. All sorts of new stuff out there. What are you doing? Get back to the table. Let's play some games. That's that's, that's my brain. That's what my brain tells me over and over again. It's I <laughs> sit down to play Spider-Man and I'm like, nah, I got a pile of games in there I should be playing. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Yeah, there's been a lot of great games. It's definitely the season to sit down and get something brand new to the table. So for this feature episode, we are talking about the best games to bring RPGers into board gaming. Now, we've talked a little bit about this, about games that have RPG elements to them. But you probably have friends and family out there who play role-playing games in some element or another. And if you want to get them to the table, we're going to talk about some great games that are going to involve them in some of the things that they love about RPGs but in board games. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, as the year goes on, maybe around holiday time, you could pick them up some of these great games. So Anthony, how's your doing this past week? It's going good. It's going good. I mean, I, I finally reached the,
0: I I can see the bottom of the Gen Con pile. Okay. And it's a little bit sooner than I expected even. So, you know, that, Gaming has been good if I'm down to the last dozen or so games that I haven't played yet. I played, I'm not going to review this game because I don't know if I'm going to play it again, but I will mention I played Nyctophobia last night, Mm -hmm. which if people haven't heard of that, it is a game where you put on a pair of blackout glasses you cannot see, and then you feel your way around the board and try to escape an axe murderer. It is a very interesting concept that I did not enjoy at all, but that's not because of the game. I just did not like having those glasses on for 30 minutes. Sure. That in mind before you agree to play, because I had already agreed. And I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so you should ask before you play any game, what accessories am I going to have to wear? I think that actually came down at one point. A friend of the meetups came to the game night and said, I have all these prototypes. And we're like, great. And he's like, would you help me out? And we're like, ah, you know, we really want to get some games. And he's like, Oh, help me out. Absolutely. And he said, I got this game. I'm building it out. And it's all about going to the prom. And we're like, ah, all right, all right, we'll, we'll play this. Little did we know that the game came with a tiara. And <laughs> that's when things started getting weird. And we'll just leave it at that. But we played it and we decided to never talk about it again. So, yeah, I should not be talking about this right now. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: I have a rule that once I've agreed to play a game, unless my house is on fire, that I will finish the game and try not to complain about it, no matter how bad, awkward, uncomfortable the experience might be. So I I played the game. I didn't complain. I apparently, according to them, just went in a circle the whole time around a (laughs) bunch of trees, which I didn't realize. I'm not good. Spatially, I'm not good. You close my eyes, but I I finished it. It was very interesting. I can see a lot of people who would enjoy it, but don't don't blind me for 30 minutes in a
1: coffee shop. (laughs) So it's no good. (laughs) That's definitely a unique gaming experience. I think it's something that you'll probably not forget for any time soon. But we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. So probably everyone out there, Anthony, has had some unique experiences themselves. So let's get into some of that fun stuff out there. So what's everyone talking about? What's the question of the week? All right. I asked everybody what is the weirdest
0: way and least expected strategy with which you've ever won a game? So got a lot of good answers here. Um, Eric mentions he won Viticulture without any wine orders, and he was saying that this is was his seventh or so win in a row. So he somehow was trying to break that streak, I don't know, by just playing the game wrong, but it still won the game. So it was clearly on a roll. Um, Drew mentions he ate all of his pizza in New York Slice and... That is not how you're supposed to play that game. Um, Scott mentions a recent game of Ashes Rise of the Phoenix born, where he forgot to take his main action and realized after the fact that if he went back and fixed it, he would actually lose the game. So he let it be and his friend decided not to win the game on that next turn. So he managed to win anyways, despite messing up his final turns. Lots of good stuff. I mean, part of this came to me because of a recent game of Brass I I played where halfway through the game, I decided I was going to see how high I could get my income to go. And that's not really how you're supposed to win that game because money is worth nothing at the end. So having a bunch of money doesn't do you any good. You can do more stuff with it. But at the end, it's kind of a waste. But in the end, I still managed to pull out the win despite having an income of like 26 or something ridiculous, like double the next guy behind me. Not how you're supposed to play that game. Also reminded me of another game I played maybe about a couple years ago where I brought out Haspelnecht and somebody decided I'm not going to mine any coal. I'm just going to do developments. That's all he did the whole game and still managed to win. And people wondered if it was broken for that reason, which I don't think it I don't think it means games are broken, but it is always interesting when somebody ignores the central conceit of a game and still wins.
1: Yeah, I think for me, one of the strangest things that I've ever done in a game in order to kind of just win just by blind luck would be. Playing Robo Rally right now, Robo Rally is a programming game, which you're moving these robots across to a certain point on the board. But typically what happens is other robots are going to bounce you or you're going to hit a certain conveyor belt and it's going to move you around. So I think getting into the game a little bit deeper as we moved on to like the later and later boards, I think I just kind of like mentally gave up on the fact that I was actually going to be able to control my own actions and basically randomly played cards And somehow by, I guess, by the heart of the cards or some other kind of randomness, it worked out. And I have no idea what happened or how it happened. But just placing those cards out there somehow programmed victory. So, yeah, that happens sometimes.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's it's such a weird thing, like when you're playing a game and maybe you're already losing or maybe you're just in a weird mood and you're like, I'm just going to play this not quite the way I normally would, or maybe you've played it 50 times. You just want to try something different and then, and then it works out anyway. So like, huh?
1: All right. <laughs> so, like, yeah. All right. So if you've had some strange actions at the tabletop, whether it is wearing odd items while you're playing or doing strange things in order to gain success, we want to know from you what those things are, because just add to the weirdness of this all. So be sure to join us on all our social media if you haven't already. And thank you if you have. Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. All of the many, many places where you listen to this podcast. Anthony showed me a list recently. It's pretty broad. It's pretty vast. Thank you for your reviews up there. We want to hear more from you. And don't forget, you can just always email us so that we know what's going on at your tabletop. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for our question of the week let's get on to our acquisition disorders. So what is on your mind or on top of your head or on your face or, you know, randomly thrown on the table these days, Anthony? <laughs> Nothing. I'm not
0: wearing anything. I'm not doing it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bring those to game night. Th- this is the eighth game, I think, in this series of games, and I backed one of them. These are the, uh, the science games by um, John Coveu and Genius Games. So they've released a whole bunch of these. I backed Virulence a couple years ago. Cytosis is the most recent one, the big worker placement cell biology game. Um, they also did Peptide, Ion, Covalence, Subatomic. So you get the idea. They're all about science and different parts of science and basically gamifying education to some degree. But what makes them unique and, and special is that they're really good games. So it's not just you know, gamifying for the sake of gamifying to get kids involved, but making a decent game in which you also learn cool stuff. So I like that because I like science, but also because I have children and, you know, I know how kids can get when they need to learn things that can be boring. This kind of stuff is awesome. So this new one is the periodic table game. They call it periodic, a game of the elements. And in it you are, as you might guess, trying to discover different elements, move across a periodic table, Um, activate different periodic trends. It's a fairly short game, looks like, 30, 40 minutes or so. Um, They say age 10 and up. I've seen some of these other games playable a little bit younger even, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But you have this big, beautiful map of the periodic table. You are putting different energies into these trends and then activating the trends and then discovering different elements on your turns, like noble noble gases and transition elements and all that stuff. Um, There's academic achievement tracks. So it's a legit game. It's not just like memorize the periodic table. It's a game with solid mechanics that plays out fairly quickly, very, very clean design. That's one thing I really like about all their games. The design is very clean, accessible. Um, It's not like they invest in it. It's not like what you expect from a science game. So like I said, I haven't backed all their games have a couple, have played a couple more, have always enjoyed them. But this one in particular jumps out as something I'm like, anything that could help you memorize that giant chart, awesome. But also it looks like a solid game. So definitely keeping my eye on this one. That's Periodic, a game of the elements.
1: All right, Anthony, for me is a brand new Kickstarter based upon a game that's been out for a little while. This is Author, the first expansion for Merlin. Now, this is a game we talked about not too long ago. And a game I want to talk about in i guess a little while give me a week or so and i'll give you a full review on merlin but merlin is a game that was designed by stefan feld and michael reineck you might know stefan feld from all of his feld games and this undying love we have for feld and you may know michael Ryneck from pillars of the earth cuba just so many great kind of classic worker placement games so queen games has another kickstarter out there And basically, more or less, what we're looking at here is just kind of a pre-order. So if you didn't back Merlin before, you can do so now, along with the expansion. They also have Pioneers and Luxor that are up there. So just kind of a way to get in on their Queen games if you haven't already. This campaign wraps up on Friday, September 28th. So by the time you hear this, you'll still have a little while to go in order to pick these games up if you're interested. Now the author expansion i think is very important and as i said i won't go into the game so much but basically from the game has a roll and move feature to it and as all good felt games you're going to have a lot of opportunities to score a lot of victory points so right off the bat what this is doing is it's giving you an extra little worker placement wheel or like almost like a little rondelle that you place in the middle of the board there's one there already this replaces it in order to give you an opportunity to play author's actions in the middle. So King Arthur is going to move around, which is a new piece in the game, give you an additional action in order to take in the game. So it's going to score you more points, give you more special abilities in the game, which is a lot of fun. And there's going to be additional dice in the game. So you'll roll those dice, you'll move King Arthur. There'll also be additional flags in the game, additional boards. So a lot more stuff for a game that could really use it because the base model of the game is a little stripped down. The two Queenies that come along with Merlin that you have to pick up definitely needed in order to kind of pump this game up a little bit more. And this additional kind of expansion, I, I feel like does it even better because this game, as I mentioned, a little stripped down, Queenies add a little bit more. This expansion, once again, even adds a little bit more to the game. And it really does need it. So I'm going to say this is going to be something you want to keep an eye out for if you already picked up Merlin or if you haven't picked up Merlin yet, but you might be interested in it. That's Author, the first expansion for Merlin. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for Acquisition Disorders. Let's get on to the games that are actually hitting our table. So we want to let everybody know if these games that we're going to be talking about this week are a buy. You should go out, pick those games up. If the game's a play and you should definitely sit down and enjoy. If the game's a dodge and you should absolutely find a different table. Or if the game is the dreaded burn and you should just torch that thing. It's no good to anybody. All right, Anthony. So what game did you get to the table this week? I'm going to talk about two real quick. The first one's relatively light and
0: simple. It is called Dwarves Winter, designed by Louis Brett from Vesuvius Media. This is the second in a series of dwarves game. The first was Dwarves Fall. Um, this one is kind of a tower defense style game. Um, lots of little miniature dwarves. There's a little bit of hand building in here and you're going to be building up the different actions that you can use. And then you need to generate resources with which to combat the both the events that come out and the monsters. So you have this big board. It has a castle in the middle, a bunch of different uh, locations around it, and then a wall. And you're going to have a hand. You start with seven, and then you can purchase more cards as you go and each of these cards lets you do something different. Some generate wood, some generate food, other ones let you move, other ones let you generate additional resources of certain types, basic stuff, but you can upgrade those as you go. There's also a a music component to the game, so every card has a musical instrument on it, and you can play a card for that instrument, and then people can play every other card they have with that instrument on it as a free action. So it's Kind of working in synergy with other players, or if you're playing solo, just kind of managing that a little bit and building up a deck that works that way to, to try to play more cards in your turn. Uh, you have a track with a maximum hand size and actions you can take. Those can be impacted by the monsters that come out. There are a whole bunch of monsters and then a deck of monsters. New ones come out every round. There's always a set number on the map. So if you defeat one, it will be replaced. And then there's events that come out. And these just stop you from generating resources in certain locations, plus they can hurt you in other ways. You have to spend resources and dwarves to get rid of either the monsters or the events. Game takes place over a few rounds. You are trying to basically just survive. And in the multiplayer version of the game, it is cooperative. You all want to survive together, but at the end you do score. Not always a huge fan of scoring in cooperative games, but they have a lot of carefully laid out scoring mechanisms in terms of well, not carefully laid out, but there are specific spe- scoring mechanisms here in terms of the cards you get and the things you've defeated and the, the upgrades you've you know managed to unlock. I, you know, it's fine. Uh, I think the game feels a little lackluster if you're just trying to survive. So adding a little bit to the end is fine. Um, the solo game, same idea. So uh, you're just trying to get through to the end. I liked it. It's relatively straightforward. It adds some interesting mechanics with the hand management side of things. Um, You are building up that hand, trying to generate more things and do more interesting things. You might have a deck of 15 cards, but every round you still just pick five, six or seven cards to play on your turn. So you get to pick and choose what you're going to use out of your deck. And I like that. So it works pretty well. It's very cute. It's got these chibi little dwarves in it. Um. At the end of the day, it's not particularly complex. Uh, You can lose fairly easily if the wrong things happen or if you just aren't able to, you know, if the wrong monster comes out or if they land in the wrong location or whatever ends up being. But it is not brutally, brutally difficult. Um, I will say the the rule book was not super clear on several things. It took a little longer than I feel like it should have to learn this game. And uh, some of the intricacies of the mechanics of how things move and where they need to be to defeat certain things isn't always clearly laid out. So it took a little bit longer than I'd like to learn it. And I thought my kids would be able to play with me, but because of some of those other mechanisms going on there, it didn't really work out that way. Um, The game doesn't say it's for 7-Up, so that's not the game's fault necessarily, but I think it's a little more complex than it needs to be. Um, But all that said, I think it's worth a play. If you like cooperative games, if you want a tower defense style game with a little bit more meat on its bones than like a Castle Panic, but not a lot more meat on its bones. Um this, this is a decent game. I think it's worth checking out. So I give this one a play. That is Dwarves Winter.
1: Yeah, it's always hard when designers, and I think they mean well when they do this, is try to get a game that families can play it and gamers can play it and gateway people can play it. And sometimes it's just, you just can't hit all four quadrants. You just can't, Everyone to the table, you got to pick a lane. Is that what you're seeing
0: here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the ideal audience for this is families with older children, like 10, 11, 12, because on the gamer side, I can think of better games in a few different categories, whether tower defense or just straight co-op on the younger side, it's just a little too complex. So it is like a narrow band, I think of who this is good for. And of course there's gamers out there who want something simple and, Cute and you know relatively accessible to teach with. So I'm thinking more like us, us gamers. Um, this is a little bit too light, but uh, you know it's for what it's trying to do. I think it mostly hits the mark, but it yeah it is a little too broadly spread there. So the second game is I talked about this maybe a year ago. Um, I don't remember exactly when I when we had this on the acquisition disorder, but that's Arc Mage, designed by Tim Harema and published by Starling Games, and Tim is actually a listener to the show. So uh, hey, Tim. he <laughs> he introduced the game to us and I got a chance to play it with him on Tabletopia way back when it was going up on Kickstarter. So year, year and a half ago, and it is now done. It has been released. It has been shipped, sold out at Gen Con. Congrats, Tim. And so I wanted to talk about the final edition of the game. Uh, so not going to go super deep into the mechanics here because I did talk about this before on the podcast. Uh, but the core idea of the game is very interesting And the way it plays out, you know, now that I have the final edition of the game and I've been playing with different players in a live setting, it's very interesting. And I like the way it kind of um, takes those things and and really works with them. So what you have in this game is you are a mage and you are trying to become the next archmage. And so you're doing that by learning about these different types of magic and interacting with these different mythical races. There's a ruined city where the last archmage used to live in the middle of this giant map. And then what you'll be doing is traveling around Sending out different apprentices that you have, learning new things, and then ultimately generating, learning different spells that you'll be able to cast. And so, this is kind of the coolest part of the game, I think, is the way the spell mechanisms work. So, you have uh, different resources for each of the different schools of magic that you're going to be building up. And there's tracks around this player board that you're going to have, and they're inlaid. So, you move the, the thing within the tracks. And then to place your apprentices out, you're gonna spend these resources. So let's say you wanna put two apprentices out for time magic, you move the purple down a couple spaces for each of them, so they cost you four, you put them in that purple space. Now, the cool part is, is if you want to then get to level two on one of these, you would have the, from the purple side and the yellow side, apprentices on both sides, and then you can take an action on a certain point on the board where they quote unquote, you know, face off against each other, and then one of them upgrades. And so effectively, what this does is every apprentice on your board is a spell card that you can have on your tableau. If they're level one, you get a level one spell. If they're level two, you get a level two spell. And if they're level three, you get the level three spell for that color. So you can kind of adjust and manipulate what your tableau is based on where you put out your apprentices, which resources you're generating, how you're generating those resources. It's pretty cool. The spells are generally the same for everybody, but you're always going to with different ones because of how everybody kind of works together. The timer in the game is interesting. Everybody has the same timers, but you choose which pieces of the timer you move towards the end game. So when you move them, you're going to get a resource for it. So it's kind of something to keep in mind as well. And then otherwise, you're doing a lot of other things on your turn. You're going out and you are gathering relics. You are, you know, exploring different locations, interacting with the different races that are out there. I mean, the game is really about getting those spells and being able to, you know, ultimately get your own mage tower up and train everybody. But there's a lot of cool stuff you can do in between several different mechanics in here that are unique to me that I haven't seen before. I mean, that that personal board is great. The way the hexes work and interact with each other is really great. You do get a Fair amount of freedom in how you move around and what you can interact with. At the beginning of the game, a lot of things are face down, so you are exploring and trying to find the different tiles that you're looking for. It works really nicely, and it's relatively smoothish. I mean, it's it seems like the type of game that would take a long time to play, but it's you know hour and a half, two hours. It's not crazy long. Solo mode is really interesting as well. Have not talked about this on the other podcast yet. Haven't gotten that far, but it's a very interesting take on uh, just kind of manipulating and moving around the board in a solo way. So really enjoyed this game just as much as I did when I played on Tabletopia, but now I have the physical pieces. I do have the, uh, I think the collector's edition that they sent. So I'm not hundred percent sure what the final components are like. The collector's edition has like the foil cards and everything. So I'm pretty sure they're not that, but overall quality is pretty high. Artwork is solid. It's a very nice game to look at has good table presence. And a lot of people do come over and ask what we're playing, which is nice. So that is Archmage. This is a solid game to check out. I think it's it's a lot of fun. And yeah, again, it's it's one that I, I don't know that's flew under the radar necessarily. It did sell out, but I'm not seeing a lot of discussion about it. So I wanted to make sure we mentioned it because it's a game that, you know, has been hitting my table fairly frequently. You know, I think it's one that a lot of people are going to enjoy, especially if you like that mixture of like this tableau building Economic twist to to area control and you know exp- exploration. The game's not really fully about exploration, but you generate things through it, which is kind of a cool take on it. It's the way I like to
1: do it. You know, you're actually doing something when you move around. So that is mage All right, Anthony. So I got a game for you. A game that I think you've had a chance to play before, but I recently have been getting to the table a bunch of times. It's a train game, even though some people say it's not a train game. Well. Maybe it's more a pick-up-and-deliver game. It is from Scott Caputo. This is Whistle Stop and the brand-new, recent expansion, Whistle Stop, Rocky Mountains. So I got a chance to get both these games to the table multiple times. And I want to talk generally about Whistle Stop. You probably have already played it. We talked a little bit about it. Whistle Stop is an interesting game because what you're doing is, at the start of the game, you're going to have multiple trains depending on the number of players that are in play and you're going to start on the east side of the board and the board itself for the most part at least especially in the base game is not going to be defined by any particular hexes there'll be some hexes in the middle there'll be some hexes at the end and a few at the start so what you're going to do is you're going to have an opportunity to take up to four different actions and you're going to expend coal which is going to move you one space. And if there's not a hex in that area, you'll drop a hex down there and move to the next stop. Now, these stops are little circles, and typically these circles have different resources that you can pick up. Every once in a while, you'll find a big stop, a town stop, that will be able to give you an opportunity to score victory points, gain stock, or activate some special ability that'll give you gold or give you additional coal or whistles, or just trade different resources. So you'll have multiple trains in order to pick up these resources to be able to drop in these towns to get those stocks because at the end of the game, whoever has the most stock of a particular stock class will score 15 additional victory points. At the end of the board, there are going to be opportunities to drop off your different resources. So it's a little bit of a set collection. You'll collect these different cubes. And once again, you'll pick them up And you'll deliver them. And when you deliver them, you'll score a lot of victory points. If you don't have the right cubes, then you'll get a little bit of a a negative bonus. And then you'll go to kind of like the railway yard where you'll pick up some additional resources. So you'll have time, if you can, to get all of your trains across to the end. Doesn't always happen because sometimes your trains are picking up resources for you. But basically, that's pretty much the game. It's definitely on the light side as far as a train game is concerned. We're not even talking about 18 double X, but yet it is a really solid pickup and deliver game. So if you haven't played a pickup and deliver game, this might be something that's up your alley, especially if you like this interesting mechanic that we see in Soro. So if you've played Soro before, you basically have your little marble piece. And when you place down a tile, it moves according to, what's laid out in that path, same thing here with whistle stop, you're going to have tracks. So each of these different hexes that you place out will have a track selection on it that's going to move your train to a different spot. But unlike Sorrow, you're not going to blow up or fall off a cliff here. Basically what you're doing is just moving your train as efficiently as possible to the resources that you need, to the different train stops you want to go before everyone gets their trains to the end or until all the rounds Run out. So for Whistle Stop, this is a solid play. I think this was probably a very enjoyable game. We had a lot of people come over to table. Very colorful, very simple to teach. A little challenging as far as what tiles come out and when to place particular tiles. I think that was probably the one thing that really threw me about this game and keeps it from a buy because. When you lay out those tiles, that's really setting the game up. And based upon your initial placement of your trains, that's really where you're going. So if you happen to get in a certain location where there's certain stocks, that's basically going to be your path. If someone's not along that path, it's going to be really problematic for them to get there. So it the game does vary greatly and not necessarily in the best ways possible, because those major town tiles are going to throw things for a loop and the ones that people have in their hand and when they place them are typically, if they play strategically enough, only are going to be for them. So I don't know. It, I feel like there should be a better way to seed the board, but yet at the same time, you don't want to lose the opportunity for discovery and just replayability. Now, with the expansion comes an additional section of the board that's going to be placed right into the middle. In fact, you're going to get two pieces that are going to lock together, which is going to give you three additional columns. So for the Rocky Mountain expansion, what you're going to find is a kind of like a little bit of a barrier. In fact, there are going to be some of the hexes that are going to be two hexes, I guess, thick or two hexes high that are kind of kind of like invoke the Rocky Mountain. So You're going to play some additional special abilities. You're going to play some additional tiles. And there's going to be a brand new stock that's going to come into play. And you are going to kind of open the board. So the board's going to be a little bit bigger. And those middle spots are going to be a little bit more challenging. Because not only are you going to be able to pick up the special abilities at a cost. But in order to build in the Rocky Mountains, there's going to be a cost that you're going to have to pay. So you'll have to pay additional coal or whistle. But depending on the spot, you're going to be able to get a new resource or a resource and a gold, which is also going to help you out. So there are some mitigating situations or special abilities that are going to allow you to get through the Rocky Mountain area without too much of a problem. When gamers played this with me, they really liked the Rocky Mountain expansion. They felt like it was finally a train game. They could actually get a sense of the mountains here. And it was something that really pulled the game together a lot better than the base game. Now, this doesn't add too much. In fact, I would say this is more of the same. Even though it does have like the double-layered mountain board, it really isn't dramatically different. It's not that high-raised that you would notice, oh, those are mountains. But as you're playing the game and you realize you have to pay additional resources and there's additional tiles that kind of layer on top, it does give you the sense that there is something special about this particular area. As I said, some of the special abilities help mitigate that. So it really doesn't lock the game down or change the game. In fact, I wish it did change the game a little bit more. I would like to see some tunnels or some special features to the game that kind of like change the gameplay a little bit, or maybe some situations where falling rocks happen or just something a little more dynamic to the game. So for Whistle Stop Rocky Mountain expansion, I also give that a play. If you enjoyed the base game, whistle stop rocky mountain expansion adds more of the same not a bad thing at all i will never play without the expansion i think it really works well with the game and it was a welcome addition even though it didn't do anything particularly new i'm really excited for this because i i really enjoyed whistle stop
0: and it was a lot of fun it was unique it was a clever game but like you said it didn't really wasn't wasn't fully a train game it was like a you know entry-level pick-up-and-deliver, which is great because that's a mechanic that's hard to do that without really, really stripping it down. So I'm excited to, to try the expansion.
1: Yeah, and I think that the only downside for this, which you don't really see in Sorrow too much because just part of the game typically is how you place those tiles, but most tiles allow you to do almost anything. Challenge I had with the game was because of the lightness, because of the of the short time that the game actually sat on the table the game setup is really long and that kind of took away from the game. So I'm like, all right, we're going to play whistle stop. Let me set this up and I'm building the board and I'm putting the pieces out and I'm checking the recommended setup for there. And then I add the Rocky mountain expansion. I got to put out the pieces and I got to put the coal stacks up that ate up a lot of time in the game. So I don't know if there is a way to kind of mitigate that. I don't think there is because part of the game is building the board but even though you're building the board, it takes a long time to actually set that game up. But I guess on the, on the plus side, it's not a hard game to teach. So you take your pluses and minuses. And overall, Whistle Stop and Whistle Stop Rocky Mountain Expansions overall, a solid play. All right, Anthony. So that's the games we're getting to our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So we've been talking about some great games that hopefully you've gotten a chance to get to the table. But for a lot of gamers out there who join us on the table each and every week at your meetup or your local game store probably haven't had the opportunity to play some board games. They're over there in the corner with their big boards and their paper and pencils and maybe once in a while little miniatures at the table playing some great RPGs. Now, role-playing games are fantastic and there's a lot to love there. But you know what? We like to invite them into our cardboard jungle here and there's so many great games that utilize a lot of great mechanics from RPGs. Now, I am an RPGer from way back when, and Anthony, you are too, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, tons,
0: tons back in high school and college. And even
1: when we first started hanging out with gaming, we we did a couple RPGs together. It's been a while with the kids, but I love them. Yeah, they're a lot of fun, and they're very diverse. So we're going to talk about some games that utilize some interesting and unique mechanics to RPGs that you may not think about, but it'll definitely pull people into different tabletop games. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us first? Okay, so I knew I had to pick an Arkham game, and I'm not even a huge Arkham
0: guy, although in recent years there have been some pretty good ones. But the, you know, Call of Cthulhu and really just that whole area of like dark, gothic, modern-ish take on things is kind of the the other side of RPGs from like the, the Dungeons and Dragons and all its clones. So the one I wanted to pick is Arkham Horror the Card Game. And the reason why is that it kind of takes card game experience and mashes it really well with role playing. Like this is a narrative experience. It uses a lot of the mechanics that are familiar from like the Lord of the Rings card game, which is been around for, you know, 6-7 years at this point and is a fantastic puzzly card game. But this game, it removes a lot of the concern over deck building uh because you build a deck once and then you kind of upgrade it and evolve it over time. But at the same time, the story grows over the course of the game or at least every campaign that you play you make decisions both during and at the end of a specific scenario that will impact how you play in the next scenario. You can choose to continue whether you lose or win. Frequently, you'll want to go back and try again if you lost to try to get the items and the things that will help you next time, but you don't have to. Uh, It's very interesting, the whole idea of a custom deck of cards, a custom character that really lasts throughout a full campaign, very similar to how you'd play an RPG where you're building your character, you get to know them, you get to customize them it's different than anybody else's take on that and uh this does it better than i think any other card game out there right now this arkham horror lcg
1: all right well one of the fun things about role-playing games is actually rolling your player which basically means taking dice pulling together a character sheet figuring out a class an alignment and a lot of other little interesting tidbits that are going to go into playing your rpg So while that is a really interesting mechanic that really lends itself into a long-lasting RPG, you can find that same dynamic gameplay in a game that's surprisingly named Roleplayer. And with its expansion, Roleplayer, Monsters, and Minions. So basically what you're doing in this game is you have your character sheet that's going to have your specific race. And then on top of which, you are going to add a class you are going to add a backstory, an alignment, and then, of course, roll dice. Now, rolling these dice and placing those dice into different attributes are going to give you special abilities, pick up equipment, and really round out your character. Now, with the Monsters and Minions expansion, it'll actually take role player your individual character that you developed and created, and actually take them out and fight off some monsters and minions. It's a fun game, and it's absolutely positively utilizes some of the best elements of RPGs, at least as far as I'm concerned, building those characters. That's role player with role players expansion, monsters, and minions. All right. So the next one on my list is
0: Shadows of Brimstone. This is a big, epic experience from Flying Frog Productions. Uh, It's kind of their flagship game at the moment. And it is similar. It's a dungeon crawl, but it has a lot of exploration elements. Lots of different themes. They have several big boxes for this game at this point. It's been released, I think it originally came out in 2014, and they've released so much content for it to date. And the reason that it's great for role players, it even more so than a lot of other dungeon crawlers, is that it incorporates a lot of the elements of character building and upgrades and loot that you have in those other games. So as you're completing these different quests, as you're moving through You know this haunted farm or this cave that's being overrun by these creatures in this Wild West-ish kind of background, but then sometimes there's these monsters and weird things coming in that don't really fit, Um, a little bit of Cthulhu-esque stuff going on. There's a lot of weird things happening. And thematically, a lot of people are attracted to that. And there's multiple, multiple scenarios to work through. There's different types. There's different portals you go through to different worlds where different things are happening. But in the mechanics you are building up a character you're getting loot you're finding artifacts you're getting new gear you get experience points that you can spend between each scenario to level up pick up new skills and abilities there's an actual upgrade tree for your character based on your class so it takes a lot of that stuff from role-playing games in terms of having a character building it out the way you want to when you start the game you roll up a character and that's the kind of stuff that role players You know, at least in my experience, when I played role playing games, that's what you want. You want to feel like you own the character and everything you do is, you know, you're doing it because of who you are, but also the when you do something cool, you benefit from it over the course of the rest of the game. So Shadows of Brinstone is very popular for that reason and is uh, one of the best, I think, dungeon crawls for role players out there.
1: Well, another great element of role playing games that you can definitely find some great board games is gloomhaven now gloomhaven does something really interesting it looks like a typical dungeon crawl but it utilizes something that i really like to see in board gaming that i think some rpgers will be interested in and that's utilizing card play in the most efficient manner possible so a lot of board gaming especially euro games is all about efficiency Playing the cards at the right time, maximizing the special ability, knowing what to get rid of, knowing what to add to your hand, and utilizing different co-op mechanics in order to chain special abilities together to get the most success. So Gloomhaven does that in a fantastic way. So if you're trying to wean somebody off an RPG into some board gaming, helping them learn how efficiently to use their actions is fantastic, and Gloomhaven is pretty much the best game for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so working our way up the cost ladder, uh, we have Kingdom Death Monster. Kingdom Death Monster is a hybrid kind of mashup of a lot of different things. It's a cooperative game, and it includes a lot of different elements. But at its core, you have your characters and the world you're building and working through. So the, the game takes place over campaigns. You can decide how long of a campaign you want to go from five up to 30 years. And during those specific years of each campaign, you're going to be working through a settlement phase. It's kind of like a civilization style building game where you're getting different resources to build buildings and get new techs and train your warriors and stay alive, Um, hunting. So you're going through a series of different stories. It's almost kind of choose your own adventure-ish, but you do have a lot of say in what happens and how it happens. And then of course there's combat and there's always this big monster that you're fighting at the end that you're trying to defeat which has a very unique kind of mechanics in terms of how they operate. Uh, There are lots of, you know, mechanics in here for building out gear. You have characters that you're going to level up and build out over the course of the game, lots of different encounters and story events to, you know, it's all scripted. It is very carefully scripted, but because there's so much content in here, it doesn't always feel like, you know, you're getting the same story as anybody else. It's unique. To some degree, you're moving through it in the same way you might like an adventure module. And then there's all sorts of content that's been added on and all the expansions. Downside, very expensive. But if you're looking for kind of the premier cream of the crop, top level production uh, of a board game that kind of has those role playing elements, Kingdom Death Monster is definitely there.
1: Well, a game that is a reinvention of a game that we've played for quite some time, Betrayal on the House on the Hill, is Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. So your RPG fans out there will know all about Baldur's Gate, but they may have not played games that utilize some of those great elements of storytelling and action selection in a board game setting. So basically what we're looking at here is you still get a character with a special ability and you're still following through the story. But as you utilize different co-op elements in order to explore, gain equipment, discover new opportunities, something comes into play so there is a plot twist in the game someone's going to be betrayed and someone turns into the big baddie or the scenario throws a kind of big wrench into the game and now everyone has to utilize their actions in order to deal with the big plot twist or big baddie in the game so when you're looking for When you're looking to bring RPGers into board games, they're typically looking for story elements that they're very familiar with. So Boulder's Gate is the perfect opportunity to bring them into board gaming and Betrayal at Boulder's Gate is a fantastic opportunity to even surprise the hardcore RPG gamer. All right, so that's everything for this week, but that's not the end of BGA. We have some fantastic episodes on our Patreon account. So check out patreon.com backslash BGA for more episodes and thank you for your support. Until next week, this is Chris and is Anthony and we'll save you all and your RPG friends a seat at the table.